What's up, Fight Fan? You're listening to MMA Daily, the podcast where we bring you the latest in the world of mixed martial arts. It is Monday, May 10th, 2021, and this week's episode, the UFC 262 Preview Show. We'll be starting off by talking about this Saturday's recent fight between Michelle Watterson and Marina Rodriguez. We'll be talking about the latest in MMA news, an eventful week in both Bellator and the PFL. We'll talk about the movement of Leon Edwards and Nate Diaz. We'll talk about the saga between the Paul brothers and Floyd Mayweather. And we'll cap it off by talking about this Saturday's event, UFC 262, Tony Ferguson versus Benil Dariush, and the vacant title fight between Charles Oliveira and Michael Chandler. My name is Gabriel Gonzalez, and I'm here with my co-host, Natalie Zamudio. Hello, Double G. Well, well, well. We finally reached, uh, what did we reach? <laughs> the point where we get to see if Michael Chandler can really do what he says he can do, right? Or if that was just like a, a one-off fluke against uh, Dan Hooker. So I'm excited to get into that, but I know first we have some uh, recapping and news to get through. If it's going to actually be a good time or a short time for Michael Chandler, is that what you're trying to say? <laughs> yeah, yeah, because, you know, that was an incredible debut. But Charles Oliveira is a different beast, so it's going to be interesting. My favorite thing, every time he posts something in the comments, like if he does it, you know, he's done a ton of interviews, and every time it it's a short one, they're always like, Michael Chandler is here for a good interview, not a long interview. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, y'all. Uh, I mean, roll with it, I guess. Um, so, uh, I mean, we got a lot to break down. Let's go into it with Saturday. So, um, in the end, it was uh, Michelle Watterson against Marina Rodriguez. I mean, to me, before we talk about the fight, it sounds like they actually went through a lot of trouble. I guess Marina, her travel stuff wasn't sorted, so she didn't even make it to Las Vegas from Brazil until Thursday. Fights on Saturday. They both they meet at flyweight. Both Watterson and Rodriguez are normally strawweights at 115. So, 10 pound allowance. There's no trouble with their weight cut. There was some other stuff, Ryan Benoit. But, you know, I guess real quick with that, what did you think about the way that it all came together? In your opinion? Well, it seemed like they had more. Like the rumor was they were going to be the main event, but they kind of left the fighters hanging hanging there waiting and uh, and wondering what was going to happen so uh, i wonder if that's why they gave them the opportunity to 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 fight at 10 pounds higher because you know they they didn't let them really know until it was a little bit too late and you know if you're going to do add on two extra rounds and still cut all that weight that's asking a lot so i wonder who negotiated for that 20 uh, uh, that 10 pound allowance i wonder if it was michelle waterson's team and, uh, you know, if you're the opponent, in this case, Marina Rodriguez, you probably have no issue with that, especially if you're still coming in, you're barely coming in from Brazil on Thursday. So, you know, the UFC at that point had to do whatever it took to get their biggest name on the card left, Michelle Watterson, to agree to do this five-round fight. So that's what it took. That's fine. But, you know, I feel for her a little bit, you know, because we know what the result was. And, and she, she, she did them a solid and, um, you know, maybe the result would have been different if she had been able to fight for three. I don't know. But it's um, I wonder how she feels about it and um, if they're going to maybe throw her an extra bone along the way for, for being a company man. I mean, woman. But uh, no, I always just leave it, you know, the I know, I, 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 you know, you know what? Every now and then it's like, you know what? Yes. Just say it. It's not a bad thing. It's Come on. But thing. Um, to me, it's not. Uh, you're it's, the phrase it's just company, a, man. It's a turn of phrase. Fine. Yes, it's a turn of phrase. But um, yep. yeah, you know, to talk about it, you know, how it came together, in my opinion, um, I, I've said this many times. People and I don't think people realize just how popular Michelle Watterson is. She's been pushed so much, not just by the UFC, but, you know, she was the one she was doing. And I remember this because I was reached out to, but LeBron James Company did a documentary about her, the Fight Mom documentary. And mm -hmm. remember, she got she was getting that push. Remember, she was headlining Fox against Paige Van Sant. And, right. you know, I. Uh, 
and even Angela Hill mentioned it. Like I watched her media day interview and she said, I think it's clear that I got the main event because I was with Karate Hottie, not because mm-hmm. it was me. And, you know, I'll say this. I have seen it. The numbers when, you know, for Michelle Watterson related content, whether it's interviews and all that, they're pretty great. She has a following and, you know, it's just there. I do feel like, well, it just that that makes it more confounding. I was like, I guess I don't know if they felt like under the circumstances, they just had to really deliver this Saturday. And I'd like to point out they knew going in, they were going head to head with the Canelo fight. Yeah. So I just found it very surprising. Like, I get it. You know, yes, Michelle Watterson is a great fill in main event for a fight night. I understand that from that perspective but not to rush it. Remember, Angela Hill, they were already going to fight three rounds. They just got promoted to five in the main event on shorter notice. Completely different uh, situation. And then when you talk about what you had to go through to get Marina there, um, it just, uh, you know, I was surprised. I felt like you could have done a lot with it. And, you know, I guess in hindsight, it worked out because then the card lost a big fight in Amanda Hebas and Angela Hill. And, you know, so... You really were just carrying it with the two fights, in my opinion, going, you know, had they not had Watterson and that's the cowboy fight. And then they had the Gregor Gillespie fight. You know, it it was a tough one, but they made it through it. In terms of the performance, um, I think we saw a lot of the same things we predicted. Marina, very big and strong. Uh, um, Watterson, she got the one takedown. It worked for her. If anything, I will say... I think this kind of, I always go back to it, so I'm not going to harp on it a lot. I think the toughest thing about Michelle Watterson, she is so well-rounded and so good. But the fact that she is undersized, the fact that she does not carry that. she Look, she's got a decent wrestling, but she's not Habib. She's not mm-hmm. going to take you down, lights out every time consistently. And uh, that physicality, and that makes it harder when you're up against someone bigger, taller, longer like the Joannas, like the, you know, a lot of the girls that quite bluntly have gotten the better of her in her UFC career. And so she fought tough. I loved her heart, but I think you could see very early on that it was going to be a tough hill to climb going in when she just could not get the respect of Marina on the feet. The leg kicks, they weren't adding up. She, um, And that's credit to Marina, you know, Michelle landed a lot, but it wasn't enough to really stop the onslaught frequently enough or soon enough. So, yeah, just I was impressed with Marina's composure. First main event, short notice, everything she went through. And she really pummeled, um, you know, a veteran of the strawweight division for five rounds. And so uh, something to improve on off her back in the fourth round, but... I think that you got to acknowledge the fact that that was a four rounds to one performance for Marina. It was. And Michelle Watterson has always been in the UFC close, but no cigar, right? She gets a little bit of momentum, has a good performance, like the one against Angela Hill, where she really showed a lot of grit and heart at the end and just put it on her. And then there's a setback like we have now. And you can only endure so many of those in your career before you stop having any forward momentum when you get to a point like maybe Donald Cerrone, right, where he had that great run and he was talking about the belt again and it seemed like he could get there, but then you hit that wall of like top five or, or you know, whoever the fresh young new opponent is that has an answer to your bag of tricks. I feel kind of like that's where Michelle Watterson is heading. And as you pointed out, the size uh, difference it's always going to be probably one of her main handicaps you know she was an atom weight fighter and she's got all the skill you know if you put all her skill sets down on paper it looks amazing sometimes she can really put it all together in the right way but you have someone who's just bigger longer stronger faster and there's only so much michelle Watterson in that suit of armor that she has can do so it's tough to see you know, there's there's still there's still you know light at the end of the tunnel, but I think Mom Champ may never come to pass, unfortunately. 
Um, as far as like actually wearing the belt, you know, in her own right, she is a mom champ, of course. But as far as the UFC goes, I don't know if we'll ever get to see that, which is disappointing because she is exciting to, to watch. And a veteran, all that experience, all the charisma, the stuff that gets her these these main event slots. But um, Marina Rodriguez just physically was a little bit too much for her. So we'll see what the uh, the next the next chapter is for Michelle Waterson. But um, it was just a bummer for me because I'm a, I'm a big fan. Yeah, I mean, she's going to have opportunities. I think one of the biggest things UFC has going for it is that Bellator does not have a active strawweight division as of right now anyway um neither does PFL and you know she could do the you know one championship is out there but I do think that she I I feel like she's got a bit of a loyalty there with the UFC brand personally I feel like they've had a great working partnership you know She's just been one of the people they've relied on and, you know, they've done good business together, if that makes sense. Yeah. But, um, yeah, in terms of Marina Rodriguez, very impressed with just her composure. I think that this stretch now, you beat Amanda Hibas, you beat Michelle Watterson. She is now ready to crack that top five and get that victory that, hey, let's talk about what is left for you, if not a title shot. Um... I know she threw out Joanna. I'm going to just say this right now. That's not going to happen. I think that Joanna... Uh, I know Joanna, I'm sure, loves training and loves fighting. I get the impression Joanna does not want to get out of bed unless it's a title eliminator, which I just don't think Marina Rodriguez is right now. I think it's more likely, you know, Joanna fights someone like Wei Lee in a rematch or even maybe Tatiana Suarez. But, um... I, I just don't see Marina getting the Joanna fight, um, sad to say. I do see a fight with like a Mackenzie Dern or even Zhang Wei Li. I think those are both uh, interesting style matchups and could really propel her forward. But those are the two that stand out to me the most. What about you? They make sense uh, on paper, but I agree with you about Joanna. You know, she's has a pedigree in the UFC that... You know, at this point, she's she's not going to be a gatekeeper, not yet. That that role could come to her, but it's not quite for hers uh, to to uh, <laughs> to be burdened with. So, waiting for a title eliminator opportunity makes sense. However, you know, you want to stay active, and if you're just sitting around waiting, I don't know. It could mean that when you finally get that opportunity, you're not as sharp as you could be. So. It's a double-edged sword there for for Joanna. As far as Marina goes, um, yeah, she's not going to get the Joanna fight, but but maybe maybe Tatiana Suarez if she sticks around at 115. Although I think she told you right, she wanted to go to 125. I don't know. Yeah, I think that um, unless uh, the impression I've gotten and Tatiana said it's like unless they tell me it's like win this get a title shot situation, I don't see myself taking another fight at one going straight back to 115 and even then i think if she has a feels good in a flyweight debut when she comes back i don't think she'd do um i think she'd be happy staying at 125 too but um yeah i think that marina um look she's got options and certainly the division's gonna shake out pretty soon um you have a big fight coming up next saturday with carla Sparza and jan shanan and you feel like whatever's gonna happen in the second half of 2021 you know, it'll be more concrete after that. So, yeah, I mean, there's options for her, for sure. Um, I want to touch on some other stuff. Uh, did you catch the Cowboy Cerrone finish? I saw the finish, yes, sir. You know, I, I have to touch on it because, uh, you know, I, I get it. I think that's five or six in a row. I, I, it might be six for Cowboy um, that have not gone his way. When I got done with that, I couldn't help but think it's like, you know, about a week and a half, two weeks ago, we were talking about, uh, you know, like D- you and Diego Sanchez and it's the retirement fight and you guys are going to throw down. And I think most people favored Cowboy going into that fight. And instead, you know, you end up short notice, younger guy, move up and wait to 170. And I was like, you know, that. Uh, it just felt unfair. 
when I saw it and I'm like, look, Cowboy fought tough, but I think a lot of the a lot of things we've seen from Cowboy where he's at in his game were very apparent once again on Saturday. And I was like, you know, it just made me more sad that we didn't get the Diego Sanchez fight because I felt like, you know what, this is perfect for both of them. They could ride off to the sunset together give the fans one more show as they deserve as very decorated veterans and instead I ended up just walking away feeling bad about that one what about you same it was it was bad hard to watch um unfair for Cerrone yes and that matchup with Sanchez with Diego Sanchez was the perfect way to send them both off and I feel like they should have just you know let Cerrone you know, maybe he just wanted to fight, okay? And he said, I don't care, give me somebody else. But they should have just, you know, um, regrouped and come up with another opponent that would have been uh, Diego Sanchez-like. Um, I will, uh, because... I gotta admit, those are very hard to come by in the UFC. Yeah, yeah, as I said that, I was like, who the heck would that be? <laughs> That's like, It was like finding an opponent for CM Punk. It just, yeah. it was impossible. Well, maybe CM Punk, they could have okay come on (laughs) come on now but yeah i mean you know younger faster fighter like it was almost like uh shooting fish in the barrel a little bit no offense to to cowboy but it was not fair and disappointing and then the story is still just stained by the whole diego sanchez fiasco and that footage of of you know this man we can't even call him his trainer his coach this this is like leech on him doing that weird punching him in the face while he's hanging upside down. I mean, that's bizarre. You're seeing all the MMA names coming out and just, you know, being very disturbed by that footage. And to me, that was still the the bigger story. I think it still overshadowed Cerrone's loss, even though, and, you know, maybe, yeah, it just overshadowed it. And so, so even though that was a tough, a tough fight to watch, to see him lose, I'm still thinking more about Diego Sanchez and I feel way worse for him than I do for Cerrone at this point. No, I get what you're saying. Um, Yeah, I, I, I've reached the point I really am uncomfortable talking about uh, the Diego Sanchez footage. I feel like every time something comes out, it's making me just like, I, I feel uncomfortable. I, I feel like I'm talking about, you know, somebody doing harm to somebody and it's, and I'm just, promoting it you know so yeah it, it's it's certainly it's it still hung over it. it it was like the shadow over the whole fight week and cowboy and you know other people are talking about it now john jones is commenting on it and i'm like oh man you know it, it just hung over the whole event after it lost after it took a lot of the after they lost just quite bluntly some good fights going into yeah. it um, Gregor Gillespie, congratulations. You've now started apparently the fishing fighting championships. And you have a lot of these guys who really wanted to talk about how they could catch a fish in their downtime. And I was like, I mean, is this what we've come to? And then, of course, you know, you think about all the clicks that come from stealing a hat on Thursday. And I'm like, well, I guess that is what it's come to. <laughs> uh, we'll get into that later. Uh, Bellator. So the top three, uh, MVP does MVP things. Uh, Anthony Rumble Johnson survives a scare to move on to the semifinals. And Sergio Pettis defeats Juan Archuleta. Somebody predicted that well. <laughs> yes, you uh, predicted a round three TKO. Well, Close you know. I'll I, give it to you. <laughs> I, I got to say, I, I was very impressed with Archuleta's uh, durability. I think that... um. It, uh, he just fought very well. That was a fun fight, and it was a close fight. And even though Sergio, you know, was ahead on the rounds, that was not a gimme fight. He he was pushed by Archuleta to be, you know, a very good fighter on Friday. Uh, I, what's your biggest takeaway from Friday? That was my biggest thing. I thought. Oof, uh, Rumble Johnson, like the the basically time traveling he did, aging backwards, like he looked younger <laughs> than. You know, I mean, he, he always looked young and fit. And even when he was bulking up for his weightlifting endeavors, he still looked great. But to see him now, it's like, oh, my goodness, he looks like he did when he first joined the UFC at, at 170. Um, it was incredible. So that was impressive. He looked great, obviously, uh, with, a, with a new opponent on short notice. 
you kind of figure, oh, Rumble's got this in the bag, not to be. Um, his opponent like broke his hand and still was able to get a shot in there that re- a couple of shots, left hooks, that really hurt Rumble. I think I think I think Rumble was um, trying to finish it out right in round one. He felt like he had him against the fence, and he literally did, and was just looking for that money shot, and he got caught. So that that was interesting. I mean, that's the beauty of MMA. You never know. But he looked good. He looked good to me. MVP also, that wicked nose-cracking kick. Oh, my goodness, the sound of that was horrendous. And um, if I'm MVP at that point, he could see him. He's, like, pointing to his face. I don't know if I... I don't know if I would have it in me to keep punching that nose. I would just uh, feel kind of bad, but I guess it's a kill or be killed. So, so that was uh, that was gruesome. Um, yeah, those were the two big the two big ones that stuck in my mind from Bellator. I mean, uh, I think for for Jose Augusto, I was so impressed with that guy. I, I got to say, yes, to Anthony Johnson, he looked very fresh considering his st- the time off did him good. It just did. say he looks so lean in there. I was like, my man. I mean, you do, we don't usually say this about the male fighters, but he had a glow up. You get what I mean? <laughs> yeah, like you know, yeah. Joanna on Instagram, he had like that kind of effect around him on <laughs> you know all this stuff this week. Uh, but man, you know what? I, when I saw Jose Augusto, how much bigger he was, and I'm gonna just say it, he was not afraid to take his lunch money from Rumble. Mm-mm. Like he was dropping his hands a little bit, and I was like, "Dude!" And if I'm being honest, maybe this was the time off. Maybe this was Jose. He he sized up Rumble and said, "I thought you'd be bigger." <laughs> I did. I felt like Rumble. There were a few shots. Guys used to not get back up when he hit him with that, like the uppercut. Remember, he took yeah. out Tashira with a uppercut. You know, at not even the best uppercut. It was really just about that momentum. And Jose took him. And obviously, you know, that changed in the second round, but he almost shocks him. You know, he obviously cracked Rumble and left him staggered. It looked like it was almost done. Let's say yeah. like it is. I, I was like, dude, you went out there and you just first round knocked out Rumble after taking shots. That's a BMF. Um, so I was like, hey, going in, I would have said, you know what? If Rumble looks like Rumble... He's my favorite to win this thing. After that one, I was like, suddenly Vadim Nemkov, here we go. You know, he had the tough bracket and he looks good. So I'm very interested. The MVP one, I feel like uh, it's MVP. He does that to a lot of good guys, too. Um, we know they don't want to put him against grapplers. That's not fun. Although it will happen if he becomes a champion. Um, the only thing I was shocked about the Derek Anderson is apparently the news came out like he was having problems with his kidneys throughout the fight camp. Oh. And so, uh, but he lied about it so he could keep the fight. But so now after the fact, they've suspended him. And I wow. was like, well, was it worth it, I guess? <laughs> I mean, Jeez. you know, hey, you know what? This is how guys, men and women get paid. So I'm not going to I'm going to reserve judgment. But I will say that, yes, that does sound reckless. And then how do you uh, breathe when you get your nose smashed and twisted like like when can you start breathing through your nose again after something like that? I mean, Jesus, you know, Oof. I think there's a day where you just realize you could feel a little more oxygen coming in and you you just train yourself to stop breathing through your mouth again. So, uh, Sergio Pettis, um, you got James Gallagher or Gallagher. I always mess it up. Juan Archuleta is still up there. Darian Caldwell fights soon. Um, maybe Horiguchi comes back from Ryzen. Uh, it's a good time at Bantamweight. I'll say that right now. Yeah. So. Uh, and then let's keep going backwards. Thursday, PFL. <laughs> First off, I think Kayla Harrison is like, oh my goodness. That that lady, she looked like she was, like put it this way. If Clarissa Shields was fighting Kayla Harrison tomorrow, I was like, you know what? That would ruin everything. Like Kayla Harrison looked like she could have taken Clarissa Shields' soul on Thursday. That was one. Um... And then, of course, the main story, Fabricio Verdum. So he's got Ferreira in this triangle. And 
so it looks like Ferreira just kind of eventually survives it, powers out of it, and he just lands all these hammer fists while Verdum is still holding on to the choke for some reason. And then you get the replay, Natalie. Um, it looks like Ferreira taps, but uh, I guess, okay, he taps and then he keeps going and then eventually finishes Verdum. How did you assess the situation? Well, yeah. Initially, I didn't. I didn't catch the tap, and uh, the first Nobody thing did. I noticed. No, I didn't see it. No, I didn't. Um, because I was thinking, like, oh gosh, because it happened so fast. Uh, you know, in 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 rewatching it, there's a, a big tap, a smaller tap, and then uh, Fajeda stops, starts punching him again. And I thought, as that as that went on, I said, why is Verdum not letting go? Why is he just keeping his head there? As soon as the fight finished or was called. Um, I see Verdum in his corner and he taps his shoulder. And so I'm thinking, oh, maybe he hurt his shoulder or something. Of course, then we see the replays and everything. And so the story unfolds. Uh, so that sucks for Verdum. I mean, how else can you look at it? I mean, the, the as of today, I guess it, it came out today, the, the commission has... Um, made it no contest. They overturned yeah, made it. Yeah, no contest. So Verdum, okay, there's redemption there. Except he ate like a million heavy shots to the head and like, you can't undo that. Can't take it back. And now he's got to heal from, from that and, and move on to the tournament. And that... I'm sorry, but he got put to sleep. I felt like yeah. he lost consciousness. I mean, it wasn't At like, point, it looked like it. it looked like he just had his head hanging back. And I was like, what is he doing? Um, but mean, I... you know, he shouldn't have let go of the, of the choke. I guess he's just too nice of a guy. He felt the tap and he thought it was over, but she got away for the ref, man. And the ref didn't see it. And, and that's all she wrote. So that's my controversy. Do you feel he let go of the choke? It seems like it. Yeah. I, as I've tried to watch it a, as much as I can. And every time I kind of look at it, I'm like, I don't, I don't know if he let it go. And I, I'm not saying that, Ferreira didn't tap, he did, but I almost feel like if you, it, it, put it this way, if Verdum didn't loosen up the choke and it was just more Ferreira kind of panicked and he felt it tight and he thought he was done, but he ends up powering out of it, I mean, okay, yes, he tapped, but if Verdum doesn't stop choking, that fight it just plays through its conclusion. There's no controversy. Ref didn't catch it. And if you didn't loosen it, well, then that kind of cancels out the tap. Now, if Verdum, and I feel like I haven't heard him say this, I haven't heard him say, I loosened the choke. It felt like he was still holding it. That, to me, is the way it's like, well, then now, you know, if you'd let it go because you felt your opponent tap, now we're having a completely different conversation. And so when you put all that together, I was like, I kind of need Verdum to just clarify, did you feel it? Did you loosen up? And mind I you, he may not remember because he just got put unconscious. He probably yeah. lose 30 seconds of memory in there. I think it happened really, really fast. From the two taps, uh, Verdum probably released like just a centimeter um, of the choke, like loosened it up just a bit, expecting the ref to come in and separate them. And I think before he could realize that that wasn't going to happen, he started eating those shots and he couldn't hold on to the choke the way he had before because he was being sent, you know, to Starland. Um, and, but then uh, it looks like the tap and then Verdum kind of does the thing where they pull the head in closer, which is what you're supposed to do to finish a triangle. Ugh. I don't know. Maybe I should go back and watch it because... Uh, I, I get what you're saying. If he loosened it, then you know what? Then I guess you, you do have a case for the overturn, which, mind you, is very rare. Like, you know... You got people more likely to give away, you know, their win bonus than you do to overturn a decision. Here's like, a question. How many taps does it take to tap out? You know what I mean? Like, is one, is that it? Can you just tap uh, once? Not all taps are equal. I always okay. remember the Chael Son and Anderson Silva. He technically only tapped once and they right. called it. So, okay. yeah, it, not all taps are equal. That's the only thing I could say. <laughs> Ah, drama. I, I will say this. I don't, no contest. It's like, well, uh, uphill battle. Remember, it's the top four, so they do have to deliver in their consecutive, you know, their next fights in order yeah. to move on at PFL. 
I mean, the pressure's on. Their two biggest names of this year that I've already fought have lost. Verdum now, okay, no contest, so he gets one point. But, like, pressure's on for him, for Anthony Pettis. Like, you know, they're you, you when you pay for these big names, you want to see them at least get close to winning. And uh, right now it's not looking great. But Kayla Harrison looked amazing. What did you think of, maybe you already knew about this, but the, the news that she's taken over the guardianship of her niece and nephew, like I can't imagine training, doing all this preparation and having two kids with you too. That's That seems heavy. You know, I feel like it's notable because there's not as many women who talk about having kids in MMA. There's obviously a lot for the guys because there's that, you know, well, mom's at home with the kids. So obviously the guys, you know, a bunch yeah, of yeah. the guys have more kids but uh, to me it was notable because it just seemed uh, put it this way how do you go from like at the top of your career and then you completely change the status quo you know you go from being to my knowledge you know single and just training and now you know you do all the response you add all the mom responsibilities to two kids on top of now you still want to win a million bucks again so um, but you know what? Uh, more power to her. It clearly hasn't slowed her down. And um, the only thing I find notable is I saw very recently, like maybe in the last two hours, uh, Dana White was asked about what do you think about signing Kayla Harrison? And he said, I think that they, her team, meaning Ali Abdelaziz, doesn't think she's ready. And he seemed to imply that they'd maybe talk to her a little bit. But if you ask me, I think that she stayed with PFL because there was more short-term money. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you win a million dollars. I don't know what she's going to make for a UFC debut if she made it tomorrow, but I promise you it's not a million. Yeah. I'll tell you that right now. So I think that she would kind of like, hey, build your experience and make the money early. And then, look, you could do all the legacy stuff in UFC. You're still young in the game and young in your career. So uh, I will say this. I, more than... Uh, anything could happen but more than can Kayla Harrison repeat I feel like the story is is there going to be a featherweight division for her when she's done with PFL this year which I know we're going to go out of order but I want to touch on it Amanda Nunes does an interview and she says Dana White was done with 145 I'm the one keeping it open said Dana White essentially wanted to be done with it after my last fight but I've said that I want him to find people to give me, essentially feed me, is what Amanda <laughs> said. And so I, I'm going to just say it bluntly, and I know we've had this conversation. I feel like it's changed a bit now. Maybe not. Is Do you see Dana splurging on fighter contracts, specifically a Kayla Harrison contract? But let's, for sake of argument, say about at least three more girls, Kayla and two others. Do you see him breaking open the wallet and signing some ladies to contracts just for Amanda? It's not for a division. It's for Amanda. Let's make it clear. Right, right. Exactly. It would be, um, here, let's sign this one person to a two-fight deal. And you want to do two because if you do one and they happen to beat her, then they're going to want more money for the next one, right? So you lock them in for, for two in case there's a rematch at a nice price you're comfortable with. Yes. And then just go fight, go fight Nunes and then... You know, if you lose, you're out. If you win, you get a rematch, and that's it. Um, so, yeah, I think they would do that if she's willing because why not? She's a name, and it looks good on the poster when you can add another person with a belt and say, we have three championship fights or two. You know, even though you know her, uh, even though you know that Nunes is probably going to mow over whoever they put in front of her. But specifically, Kayla Harrison, yeah, I think they'd be willing to pay some bigger bucks for her. But that gets tricky because she's not going to want to go just to fight Nunes and then do a rematch and then the division is dead. So if they go for her, I don't know what her her asks might be. Um, but but I don't know if they would build, you know, like if she if she fights Nunes, if she beats Nunes, then what? Are they going to all of a sudden start building a division around her or do the same thing that they were doing for Nunes, which is feed her one opponent at a time? I don't think she would like that. So it's a little tricky with Kayla, but in general, if Nunez wants to keep fighting at 145, it's completely doable if they just do one fight at a time, you know, no division, just 
feed yeah you said feed her her next uh her next meal and then move on i mean think about that though if you were a featherweight and that you know it's like i'm here just in case amanda loses after i fought amanda and if i lose that is some you know you can imagine how a lot of how anyone would feel right and you know I know there's opportunities. We talked a bit. Megan Anderson, you know, she's getting the UFC rub and UFC Twitch. Obviously not anymore. You know, it's grown her brand. There's opportunities there that being part of the UFC grants athletes. But then you got to think, you got to wait big picture. Does it do for you enough compared to if you were to go do something else? And, you know, I brought it up with Kayla. Like, well, I mean, you got more competition in Bellator. You know, PFL, if she stayed with them, maybe bring some of the Bellator girls over, do some, co- you know, cross-promotion. Uh, I just, once again, I, I'll say this. I think the only way Kayla comes to UFC is if they give her enough money to do a two twofer with uh, Amanda. I don't see another situation because I don't see them signing more women besides Kayla. I just don't. Um, and, and, you know, not to add insult to injury... Danielle Wolf, the only other featherweight who is going to fight Felicia Spencer, she is actually out of that fight. Now Felicia Spencer is fighting Norma Dumont, who fought Megan Anderson at 145. Norma is going back up to 145, but she's kind of. I think she knows. I think she's in that weird spot. I think she's struggling to make bantam weight. She's missed weight, but I think she also feels just undersized at 145. Which goes back to it, well, then what are we doing here? So, my point is that there's no answer. I think that if you're looking at my crystal ball, what do I think will honestly happen? I think that they are never going to take the featherweight belt off Amanda. They're just going to kind of not acknowledge it. Not acknowledge why hasn't she defended for as long as possible. But the fact is, it's like, look, we're going to just stick with Bantamweight. And, you know, we're not going to do a twofer with just Kayla Harrison. And I think that Kayla will, you know, if they don't break the bank, then Kayla's just going to be like, look, let me do my thing in Bellator. Let me try to go beat Cyborg and Julia Budd and Katzengano, what have you, and just build my name. And that's just going to be it because I don't see the UFC taking another direction. Yeah, the 145 belt. And the women's division is going to start to lose its luster if it's just, you know, sitting on the shelf there because Amanda doesn't want to let it go. And then, you know, if she lets it go, they can shutter the division and everyone moves on with their lives. But so long as she doesn't want to do that, then it's just like, okay, well, what have you done with it lately? Like, where's the value in that belt? It just looks good on the poster when you, or when you, when you, when you, you know, when you defend your 135, it looks good when you have two belts on your shoulders. Yep. So anyway, yeah. Remember though. This the can can be pushed a very long time when kicked by the right person. <laughs> Dana White hasn't completely shut the door on Zufa boxing, for example. Okay. So, you know, Dana, what's going on with that featherweight division? Ah, uh, you know, we're working on it. You know, Amanda's been really busy. You know, we've got these girls coming up at bantamweight that are really big. You know, it. I could sell it. It's not that hard. <laughs> you know. Uh, this one, I mean, we're kind of late to the party. It kind of happened right after our last show. But Leon Edwards versus Nate Diaz has been moved a month. It's now going to be on the June pay-per-view. So we're not going to get it this Saturday. So they will still fight. Five-rounder. Non-title. Now they are the third... Remember, the 263 already has two title fights. Adesanya versus Vittori 2. Figueredo versus Moreno 2. And now, Diaz versus Edwards is the third five-round fight on that card. Um, what were your thoughts? Because if you ask me, this was a... It, it wasn't the kill shot, but it was a big body blow to this Saturday's event. Yeah, it was. For, I mean, look, you want to see Nate Diaz. Everyone wants to see him fight. And the fact that this matchup with Leon Edwards sort of came, I want to say out of the blue, but a little bit. Out of left field, right? What did we say? A uh, uh, curveball uh, <laughs> changeup yeah. out of left field, yeah. So it was like, oh my goodness, this is happening. This is happening right away. I can't believe it. And then, you know, what do they say? A slight injury for Diaz. Okay, now it gets moved a little bit. 
Um, yeah, it's a bummer, but okay, we still get to see them fight. It's not too far away. It's about a month, and we can do that. We can wait, so it's fine. <laughs> yeah, to me, um, I, I guess when I looked at the card, it was a very sneaky good undercard because, um, you know, you had Charles Oliveira and Michael Chandler. Let's be honest. The title fight should have been Dustin Poirier, but okay, I I think we all understand why it's not and moved on from that. But then you had, okay, you got Diaz Edwards. Then you have, um, you know, Tony Ferguson Benil, Edmund Shabazian only had his first loss. It was like, you know what? That's a good little five pack at the top. You know, it's not that bad. And then, you know, you lose this one. And, you know, obviously, I think earlier today, they also lost the Edmund fight. Yeah. It's like, oof, you know, like the thing with Tony coming off the two losses is like, I, you know, it it's lost a, some steam, to say the least. And also remember, I think that uh, I want to say Edwards fought like before his uh he fought RDA in Houston, so I think they kind of felt like, oh, they're bringing him back. And I was watching the, you know, on Sunday they had the fight flashback on TV, and it's the Nate Diaz Conor McGregor fight, and you know, you kind of reminded why it was a big deal they added Nate. And it's just like, you know, that leads to my question: when you look at him now, with two sixty three now has a triple header, and then you had the undercard from this Saturday. I almost feel like, you know, remember about three weeks ago, we said, oh, man, you know, that that 263 June card with just the flyweights, it, you know, it's kind of uh, looking a little thin. They kind of need some muscle behind it. Now, arguably, it's better than 262 this Saturday ever was. What are your thoughts? Yeah, it's uh, it's coming along nicely, so we can't complain there. And uh... is it more stacked now? Oh yeah, I mean it sure is. Nate Diaz, man, like that's more. That's like, that's all you had to say, right? <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's more stacked. He he's he's the main event most of the time, unless, I mean, there are very few people who out main event Nate Diaz, even if he's not the last fight on the card. So anytime he's on, people tune in, man. I I remember vividly, um, the I think it was the last Bellator fight I attended. And um, when they did uh, the, uh, the forum, the yeah. tournament, yeah, yeah, he was there, and uh, a crowd of people. He was just like kind of standing around the media table. Actually, he was just bombarded with people, and um, I was just trying to get back to my chair. And the security guard was like, "Get out of here, move, <laughs> move along." Um, but I mean, he's like, just. But I'm working here. <laughs> but I'm working here, and I have a pizza I need to eat, and so. You know, I was just blown away. So, like, but no one's going to be running up to, no offense, to, you know, Michael Chandler or Marvin Vittori or any of these other amazing guys who are at the very top of their game. But Nate Diaz, he's always going to have fans. He's always going to have people wanting to shake his hand, wanting to take a picture with him. So it's a big deal to have him on any card. So he makes a card for sure. No, I, I completely agree with you. And I think that they're just going to... Obviously, they're going to push forward, as they always do, but... Yeah, they they took a hit. There's no um, there's no two ways around it. Uh, let's take a detour. Let's take a slight break to talk about uh, MMA Public Enemy number one because this dominated the headlines. Um, Natalie, he took his hat. Oh God! And it was everywhere. The thoughts. <laughs> I'm I mean, not even. I don't even need to give context. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Gotcha hat. Oh god. I just can't. Like the, I don't know the sound of my head shaking. I wish that I could produce a sound when my <laughs> head is shaking in dismay. Um, I can just sigh heavily. Gosh, so annoying. Just, just annoying, man. I just want to flick him away like a fly on my desk. You know. Uh, why? Why are these people infiltrating? infiltrating you know legitimate combat sports and and why are they getting so much attention for it? now i know the answers to these questions but i still ask them in my mind <laughs> as I, I wring my hands together why 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 is this happening and when will it end 
you know, who's going to finally put a stop to these guys walking around like they're big, tough, bloody guys and, um, you know, make them eat their words. You know, the Mayweather-Logan Paul matchup, because Logan Paul is so tall, it makes me a little nervous. But, you know, Mayweather, Floyd Mayweather against anyone who's not a real fighter is going to win every time. So, so my concern is, like, if the height difference and the reach difference is going to let Logan Paul land even one shot on Mayweather, it's going to be the end. Like, that's going to be the storyline, the way it was with Conor McGregor right now. Conor McGregor did a fine job, okay, uh, at, at first, and then he just got blitzed. But the fact that he maybe went around and landed a bunch of punches on Mayweather, it was like, yeah, somebody did it, great. But at least Conor McGregor is like a mega superstar and champion in his own right in MMA. Logan Paul is not that, though he has his merits in his world on YouTube. Um, what I really don't want is for him to to have any kind of success against Floyd Mayweather because I really want Floyd Mayweather to put an end to all of this. I hope he's a guy that can do it, that can that can shuttle away both brothers for good. But in any case, this story, this footage blew up. Everyone had an angle on it, like literally a camera angle was being uh, was 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 covering every uh every inch of this encounter and the Floyd Mayweather ranting through the through the the bowels of the stadium my question to you is was that staged um was Uh, Floyd Mayweather really that pissed off or was he selling a fight mm. I think that uh, I'm going to just say this. It was loosely scripted. I think mm-hmm. that Floyd had a feeling Jake was going to pull something. And Floyd understands. You react, I react. That's how we sell this stuff. So yeah, let's be honest. I mean, you do. You, when you look at the footage, that's the kind of thing that starts that kind of ruckus in a middle, in like a high school. Mm-hmm. In a high school in a bad neighborhood. Oh, I got it. And you got, you know, some tough guys. And it's like, it doesn't happen with freaking multimillionaires. With freaking news outlets up the wazoo up in there. Acting like this is the most compelling thing. Uh, it, it just doesn't. And so the adolescent nature of it, I was like, really? He did that. And I see him. He's like... Like every teenage punk of every... They could annoy you on TV. He's on Instagram and he's already selling the hats before the, you know, they probably left the stadium. Uh, you know, I was like, oh my gosh. Um, To me, uh, what it comes down to... Once again, I do think it was a little staged, but I don't think he's thought I'm going to steal his hat and he's going to freaking do all that i mean how could you i i I really i'll say this i think he was surprised because i think that jake was like oh like just like hey you want to sell this fight this is how we're going to sell it uh the 50 pound and the height difference that logan has on uh floyd i'm gonna just say floyd isn't coming back to lose there's Mm -hmm. a reason these aren't professional fights they're exhibitions and I mean, you know what? If they find a way to sell it too far, then okay, I'm okay with this little triumvirate. All right, y'all go do what you want to do. But um, it did make me raise a question because here's mine for you. Because I think this thing is officially out of their control. And I'll just say it right now. It's like bubblegum. And they've wasted blowing up the biggest bubble too quickly. With all of the pageantry that just went into the whole Paul Askren thing. And now you got a star like Mayweather taking on Logan. Uh, Where do we go from here? This is arguably one of the biggest celebrities you can find to box you. Like, let's be honest. The only way you're going to have a bigger celebrity than Floyd Mayweather is somebody who doesn't need to fight. Fighting. Like, you're not going to get Robert Downey Jr. or Johnny Depp or Brad Pitt to do celebrity boxing with you. Uh-huh. Having a Floyd is easily the most famous celebrity who can box to do this. If you ask me, I think the bubble's going to burst. 
Because after this, oh yeah, we're really going to get excited about Jake Paul, Dylan Dennis. Which, mind right. you, not isn't going to happen because somebody's going to have to get a payout. Otherwise, they all want their cut. So... I, I guess that's my final question because we have real MMA to talk about. Yeah, yeah, that, that's correct. Uh, I agree. The the Floyd Mayweather is the peak of legitimate like opposition here um, in this world of celebrity boxing. Like Floyd Mayweather, that's it. And apparently, it doesn't matter how tall you are, how much bigger you are than him. He's you know, if you can get him to say yes, that's it. Unless you get Mike Tyson to say yes. But Mike Tyson would kill Logan Paul, not on purpose, but you know, <laughs> it would just happen. So I say Floyd Mayweather's the peak because he's probably the only one who's big enough and he is still, you know, the most popular probably boxer, um, most successful boxer, of course. He's the only one who would say yes. Uh, but Mike Tyson is the the bigger <laughs> ultimate threat. It's like the, the real boss when you think you beat the boss in the game and then Mike Tyson comes out and he's like, I don't know, there's one more level. <laughs> um, but that's never going to happen. So, yes. so, yeah, Floyd Mayweather's the peak. So where do they go from there? I have no idea. They, they continue to pick fights with MMA guys. But, yeah, then it's like, um, okay, I'm not going to watch this. Dylan yeah. Dennis. Um, like man. I said, the only way they top it is something happens, which I won't put it past it. Floyd has done WWE on multiple occasions. Some ruckus, and then it's Floyd versus Jake Paul, who I think, you can easily sell as the better boxer of the two brothers. Um, and yeah, the, like, I, I'll just say it. I actually would have liked a little bit of a slow progression with Jake versus Dennis and maybe the Tommy Fury. But now it's like we're just cash. You know, it's like we haven't even drawn the first card and the someone at the table is already gone. You know what? I'm all in I'm and all just in, yeah. put all these chips in. So, but if you ask me, that's the bubble is ready to burst because after you do this everything else is pretty you know irrelevant you know it doesn't top this so um not i'm sure they'll try to sell it but still (laughs) let's look forward to this saturday so we have a actually decent set of matchups at the top of the card so let's start with the co-main event tony ferguson Looking to snap that two-fight losing streak against Benil Dariush. Six-fight win streak. Recently beat Diego Ferreira in a fight uh, earlier this year. I forget the... I think it was February. But um, this one, I think it's safe to say back against the wall for Tony. Really... Okay, look, he's not in the title picture right now. If he loses three in a row, you're now suddenly talking about... Is he one of those veterans on the proverbial chopping block, like a la Yol Romero? I can't believe I'm saying that because I looked at it yesterday. They had the whole one year since the ferguson Gaethje fight. A year ago, in the morning, he was the 1B to Habib's 1A at lightweight. Uh-huh. 12-fight win streak, all that stuff. And now we're talking about, you know, could this... Uh, I don't want to say the end of the road, but certainly... There's nowhere good to go if he loses three in a row. And then Benil, this is his career breakout. One of the nicest guys, quiet, that Robert Whitaker appealed to him, just loves his family and loves MMA. Um, This, you know, it's quite the crossroads for both men. What are your thoughts? It really is. Um, You know, but for Tony Ferguson, yeah, the question is, has he already peaked? Um, in in his in the attempt the UFC's attempts to get him to fight Khabib when he was at his best like was was that it like we never saw the fight but that was as close as he was ever going to get to a title shot the loss against Justin Gaethje still sort of haunts me a little bit when I think about it and how Tony was short circuiting at the end there before they they called the fight and uh, then the surprise of of how effective and dominant Charles Oliveira was against him so we've seen this before where someone who was at the top, near the top, just on the precipice of, of gold, loses one fight and then another. And now you're asking, everyone's asking the questions, you know, can they climb back up? Have they taken too much damage? What's going to happen? And then they match you up with someone that can, can really give you a chance to get your confidence back or really, really shoot your confidence, <laughs> confidence really throw it out the window, right? Because Benil Darush... He's been on a great run. This is his moment to to 
climb over the edge or to climb over the top, the peak here. So it's a tricky one. It's an excellent matchup, a lot on the table for both guys. I think if Benil loses, but it's competitive, he's still going to have, you know, positive um, momentum. But for Tony, if he loses, then those conversations are really going to pick up steam. What's next? Should he retire? Like, even though it sounds crazy to say, should Tony Ferguson retire? It's definitely going to happen, especially if he gets, if he loses in a dramatic fashion, either knockout um, or just gets dominated until the very end. So this is a tricky time. I hope Tony Ferguson is feeling great and has had time to fully recover from those two tough losses. And um, my favorite saying, we shall see. I mean, so let's talk about this. So uh, to me, I think the biggest thing is uh, Benil's consistency. He's a very well-rounded guy. He's not a lights-out hitter. He's, yeah, I know he's got knockouts and he's gotten some guys, but that one-shot fist-to-face, he doesn't exactly have it. Um, that being said, he's technically very sound. He's very well-rounded. He can grapple. He's got a submission game. Um, like I said, he, he's he's no slouch on the feet. He just doesn't have that knockout power. Tony, you know, still durable, still very one of the biggest punchers at 155. The only thing is, you know, now that X factor, he's working with Freddie Roach and them. It feels like he's got more structure behind him, which after the fact, I don't know if we discussed it too much, but... You know, he talks about he doesn't have a coach going into the fight with Charles Oliveira. He doesn't have Eddie Bravo, the one of the premier jiu-jitsu coaches, as he takes on the reigning submission king in the UFC. You know, all of that was a red flag, right? He seems to have more of that now. My question is, you know, in the months since December, you know, it's only going to be about five months since that fight with Charles. Has he closed up all of those holes in that game? And does he have the style he needs to beat a guy like Benil? I think that uh, he uses his physicality. He's just got to put that forward pressure on him. And defense. I, I mean, I know that's sometimes what we love about Tony is that he gets into a bloody war. But I think that uh, Tony Ferguson on defense has all the weapons to wear down Benil Dariush in a 15-minute fight. Not 25. So... I think that's it. I think that if he's disciplined and pushes forward, his natural size and physicality favors him. Um, if Benil is patient and Ferguson leaves openings, this becomes a very difficult fight for Tony because I do think that Benil's going to be able to avoid a lot of the damage in 15 minutes. And I do think he's going to be able to stay just ahead of him, maybe grapple him. Not lights out dominate like Charles Oliveira did, but he will be getting the better of the rounds because I think that a lot of Tony's offense comes off of being the aggressor. I don't know if he could get into a counter-striking battle and win against Benil. So uh, let's come down to it. I'm a, I'll go first. I, I'm just because I can't really stand to see him lose three in a row. I've got to go Tony Ferguson. I think the Freddie Roach impact. That's going to be one of the big stories coming out of Saturday is if we see him just look good, look like he's, you know, the Tony Ferguson who is beating Cowboy and Pettis, I think we'll be talking about, you know, the addition of Freddie Roach to his team. Um, what about you? I'm going to actually go the other direction. I think Benil's going to stay patient and be steady, you know, Tony will have that elusiveness, that uh, unorthodox movement, but everyone's already seen it sort of time and time again. I think the chinks in the armor are a little bit too too severe at this point, and Benil's going to be able to just stay calm, stick to his game plan, and you know, um, pivot if he needs to. But I think mentally he's going to be able to stay ahead of Tony and win uh, by decision. So I think it's going to be unanimous decision, Benil Dariush. All right, all right. I got, I'm going to go unanimous on my Tony pick, too. Okay, got it. And now for the lightweight title. 
Charles Oliveira taking on a longtime Bellator champion, Michael Chandler. Uh, you know, Natalie, when I think about this one, you know what, take all the stuff out of it. Who should it have been? Why? And Chandler's just got here and Dustin Poirier and Connor and all that. I love this fight stylistically. I think they have two games that really could produce a very fun fight. They both have weapons. It's not a, you know, slam dunk either way. Um, What I like about it is that Charles at this stage of the game, he's got so much experience. He's so well-rounded. I mean, you know, he was always a tall, long guy, but he's just gotten more confident in his abilities on the feet and using that length and cutting people with elbows and... He's just not afraid to strike with you also. And then you know his pedigree on the ground. And look, he's he's great off of his back. He's certainly dangerous if he's on top of you. You know, he's one of the premier grapplers. He has the all-time record for submissions in the UFC. And then you got the explosiveness of Chandler in the wrestling. You know in those early rounds, it doesn't matter if you don't make mistakes. Michael Chandler could really just blitz you and catch you and that's going to be a wrap. The wrestling, you know, could it neutralize the grappling off the back of Oliveira? It's just such a good fight. And um, I just really like it in that way. To me, it really comes down to uh, can Charles keep the distance? Because I do think that at this stage, he does have the pedigree that he, if he's able to keep the distance, he's outstriking Michael Chandler. I think that for all the explosiveness and the speed, I think that he's going to be the one getting out of the way of shots, landing his own across 25 minutes potentially against Chandler. As it goes, I will also say that Chandler's ability to knock people out, it's not something we see past the early rounds. He tends to get it done. After a certain point, he's still strong, but he's not known for knocking guys out in the fifth round. I think that could be key because over the course of a long fight, I do think that the game of Oliveira is going to be very exhausting for Chandler to deal with. And I I think that's just it. I think that it just comes down to that. If Chandler could close that distance, especially early, I think the damage probably accumulates a lot quicker and suddenly becomes a Michael Chandler fight. But that's what I think it's going to come down to, managing the distance on the feet. Even more so than the grappling, because you know they could both go to the mat and it's fun. I think this one's going to be decided who can keep it on the feet. I agree. I don't think Oliveira's going to be able, should they get to the to the, to the the canvas, going to be able to submit Michael Chandler or Michael Chandler be able to keep Charles Oliveira on the, against the cage or on the ground for, for too long, uh, too many stretches at a time, right? Charles Oliveira, as you wisely point out, distance, that's his that's the key to victory for him. He's slick, he's a slick fighter, he's athletic, he's he's super well rounded. I would say more so than Michael Chandler, but Michael Chandler has that big threat, the punching bomb, you know? And and the like almost like a uh, like a football player, you know, the explosiveness surge and and throw that overhand right surge and pop surge and pop and so that's what he's really good at of course that doesn't last forever not going to carry through to five rounds um but i think michael chandler is so determined and can just taste how amazing how impressive it would be if on his second ufc fight he wins the belt not that charles Oliveira isn't determined and and desirous of winning this belt but i think michael chandler's uh, mental fortitude and uh, ability to visualize victory is so much stronger. I think he's going to do what he says he wants to do, which is knock Charles Oliveira out. He says round one. Uh, it's possible, but I'm going to say round two. And uh, and that's all she wrote. Then it's going to be a great night for Michael Chandler. I hope he doesn't do another backflip off the top of the cage because that is just asking for trouble. You don't want another a uh, Johnny Walker situation. But anyway, that's my pick. Michael Chandler, round two, KO. Oh, boy, oh, boy. You know, I, I think I, I want to bring this up before we close it out. I think that if Michael Chandler, it's the kicks, I think if he uses the kicks to set up the hands, maybe he could do it. Get in on that range and that ability of Charles. <clears throat> Excuse me, hookups. But um, 
You know what? I think, though, at this stage, what is he, eight-fight, nine-fight win streak, Charles Oliveira? <sighs> I think he feels like this is his moment. I think he's training really hard for a guy who's got a game. I feel like he, at this stage, he feels like he's seen the kind of game Michael Chandler has. It's different when you're in there and you feel their speed and their power, but I think that Charles, after what I saw him do to Tony, to Kevin Lee, I think he's got what he needs, and I think he's got the game and the weapons necessary to take this one. So I'm actually going to go Charles Oliveira for the win. I'm going unanimous decision on this one. I think it's a fun fight, but, you know, Michael Chandler's not going to let himself be finished, but it's going to be a Charles Oliveira fight at the end of the day. Unanimous decision. I like it. Either way, we get a new champion, which is good. Mix up, uh, mix up 155 even more. This is exciting. What I will say though, then we start looking forward to Dustin Poirier and Connor, and how do they do against them? Makes me nervous. <laughs> uh, next week, a uh, busy week. So we got uh, Rob Font taking on Cody Garbrandt. A lot of big stuff for the bantamweight division, and maybe flyweight if Cody decides that's what he's going to try to do. You also got that seemingly strawweight title eliminator Jan Shonan against Carla Esparza that's good and then Bellator with their featherweight champion back in action Chris Cyborg taking on Leslie Smith for the second time so what are your thoughts as we go into next week I can't wait to see what Cody Garbrandt how he looks I mean it's been a while since we've seen him but the last time he was in the cage was an amazing win with that knockout against uh, Asuncao is that who he he beat yeah that was that was just so beautiful Carla Esparza um, you know, she's tried and true and she always finds a way to win and she has a really strong chin and this is probably the last title shot she's going to get, or, you know, um, the, this is the closest she'll get to a title shot, right? If, if this doesn't take her to that position, then I don't think she'll get another one. So that's a lot on the line for her and Chris, I worry, Leslie Smith, like if Leslie Smith doesn't get blitzed right away, this is going to be a war because Leslie Smith doesn't back down. Chris Cyborg doesn't walk back down. I don't think Leslie Smith, Leslie Smith can knock her out, but she can at least, you know, drag this fight out and give us a good war. So I'm pretty pumped for that. You know what? I think to me, yeah, anytime you get a chance to watch talent like Chris, it's always special. Um, I think I'm very intrigued by what we could see from Carlos Sparza and just how they approach that. You know, this could be a big fight, you know, if Jan Shonan... You got to think she's like, well, now can I be the face of Chinese MMA after Wei Li and all this stuff? So I think that'll be interesting. And yeah, it's always fun when Cody Garbrandt fights. So that's just my big takeaway. It's going to be a fun week of MMA. So we'll have all that going on next Thursday and Friday or no, sorry, next Friday and Saturday. Obviously, this Friday, this Saturday is all about UFC 262. So guys, enjoy the fights and we'll be back next week.